The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. So Advent. Let's recap a little bit. On the first Sunday of Advent, which feels like ages ago now, we found ourselves at the end, literally. Remember all of that stuff about the unknown day and hour and one being taken and one being left? It's pretty unnerving stuff. And then the next week we met the locust-eating, camel-hair-wearing, axe-wielding, wilderness-dwelling, fiery preacher John the Baptist. More scary stuff. And then just last week we encountered John in prison, doubting the certainty of his own message. Advent gets pretty bleak. But then today we have an angel and Joseph, and Mary, and Jesus. Finally, something Christmassy, right? So let's talk about King Ahaz. Don't want to steal too much thunder from the kids, right? Uh, so let's talk about King Ahaz. Now, I know that you are all incredibly well-versed in your pre-exilic history of the Israelite and Judaic monarchies of the time of the prophets, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so I'll just humor myself and we'll recap a little bit. Uh, we don't have time to go through everything this morning, uh, maybe a Bible study sometime, but it would be an understatement uh, to say that Israel's history as an ancient monarchy was messy. By the time of the prophet Isaiah, the once united kingdom of Israel had been splintered into two, with Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And they didn't exactly get along very well, hence the split. But so much so that the king of Israel to the north was scheming with the king of another allied nation to try to overthrow Ahaz, his king, uh, or his counterpart king in the kingdom of Judah, and to replace Ahaz with someone that they liked and that would share and advance their political agenda. We can change the names all we want, but that history repeats itself, doesn't it? Uh, so you can imagine, though, how much 
or how this would make Ahaz feel, backed into a corner and threatened, right? Trying to be overthrown by an enemy king. So enter the prophet Isaiah. He comes also from the southern kingdom, from Jerusalem. And he comes to try to reassure Ahaz. But Ahaz doesn't believe him. And so Isaiah counters with God's second offer. Pick a sign, any sign, and God will do it to prove that God is really with you. But still, Ahaz, in his stubbornness, refuses. So God picks one for him. The young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. It's a pretty good sign, a child, a sign of hope, whose name means God is with us. And so in the midst of this military and political crisis, God comes to God's people with a word of hope and God's enduring presence with them. Now, if only that's where the story ended, because Ahaz didn't, or maybe he couldn't, bring himself to trust that promise. He knows military might. He's well-versed in political maneuvering, But divine promises? Not so much. But the message of Isaiah doesn't stop there. The promise of Emmanuel, the invitation to trust in God with us, doesn't go unheard in the pages and history of our scripture. This is the same message offered to Joseph so many years later, pointing back to Isaiah's ancient words. Because the thing about God's promise to be with us is that it will not be stopped just because we don't or we can't trust those words. And if anyone had reason to doubt that promise, it's Joseph. Matthew describes him only as a righteous man. Translation, Joseph liked to follow the rules. He liked predictability. He liked things to be in order. He disliked controversy and conflict and drawing attention to himself. So you can imagine his shock and horror to wake up one day and find his entire life turned upside down. His fiancée is pregnant and he is not the father. To break it off with Mary is to subject her to a life of public disgrace, which all but certainly meant a life of homelessness and begging and even prostitution in a patriarchal first century world. To draw attention to the truth of her pregnancy would be to even subject her to death by stoning, according to their religious law, and to subject even Joseph and his family heritage to public shame and humiliation. Truly, no decision was a good way forward for Joseph. Except, at the center of this personal crisis, in the midst of a mess that he didn't create or want or ask for, Joseph did as the angel commanded him. He receives and he trusts the promise of Emmanuel, God with him, even in the mess, even when his life has turned upside down, 
even when he would have had every reason to run away and to retreat to safety and seclusion. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a reminder that I could use in the mess and the upside-downness that life so often presents us. When it feels like everything is falling apart, there is God, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. That's the key for me when I read this this time around. This is not about God with me or God with you. God with us. Reminding us of who we are meant to be. Called to be a people who live in relationship with God and in community with one another. If it were just about me or just about you, there would be no point in this. This gathering together as a church or ecclesia, as the New Testament writers called it, literally the assembly. There's something powerful in this coming together, even in the midst of crisis or grief or loss, even when it feels like everything is changing or our world is slipping out from under us, when the only thing that we're sometimes certain about is uncertainty. I can't help but think of our gathering in this space almost two months ago for Shirley Calhoun's funeral. And we watched the video of the greetings that we sent to her, to her hospital room. Even when Shirley couldn't come to us, we brought us to her. And when Shirley died, we gathered in this community to remember her life and the promises of the God that she trusted in, the God that we trust in. Loss is inevitable. Messiness and uncertainty are unavoidable parts of life. But we don't have to face them alone. As one writer puts it, the darkness continues, but together we sing, together we light candles and share meals and give gifts and celebrate, all of which help us to see the signs so easily overlooked when we are alone. That sign is Emmanuel, God with us, and the most tangible way I can think of to experience that sign of God with us is through other people. The 16th century Spanish mystic and saint Teresa of Avila captured that so well in her famous words, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Ours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Ours are the hands through which Christ blesses the world. When we are gathered together, God helps us to perceive and to feel God's presence in ways that we can't perceive on our own. I think of our Blue Christmas service here just a few weeks ago that makes sacred space for solidarity in our grief and our loss, or our caroling to our homebound members just earlier this week, or our Sunday school Christmas program that will tell us about the good news of great joy that we hear year after year after year. 
soon. We will celebrate Christmas and the birth of Jesus, the decisive God with us moment. But God with us is a promise bigger even than Christmas. It's an Advent promise that is both ancient and timeless. It's a promise that reminds us of the ways that God continues to enter in to our reality. That's what Advent means, right? Literally coming, as in ongoing. The Advent promise of Emmanuel is a promise rooted in and moving through history. It points us back to an ancient promise spoken to to a Judean king. It points us to that singular moment of God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus. And still today, that promise, which is ongoing, points us to all of the ways that we know and experience God in our singing and praying together, in our sharing of this meal of holy communion. This is the promise for God's people yesterday, today, tomorrow, long into the future. God is with us still.